Chris, did you know that December belongs to Cthulhu? What? <laughs> That's right. If you go over to Tor.com, you will see that they have devoted the entire month to everyone's favorite cosmic tentacled thing that should not be. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, no, I've been over to Tor.com. Yeah. They've got, they got awesome stuff. They have stuff from... Uh, uh, editors, scholars, and fans like us. Yeah, they're just contributing stories and articles and analyses yep. and uh, comics and artwork. Yeah, yeah, a lot of cool artwork over there. I definitely remember. They have a whole thread that's just a bunch of different art that they keep adding stuff yeah. to, and it's all awesome. Of course, uh, if you want to purchase some of that artwork over at Tor.com, you can do that as well. You can, and all of uh, the books that uh, they carry, H.P. Lovecraft specifically, 30% off. 30% off. They've got annotated versions of his stories. Yep. They've got analysis. Books that I use in the show. Right. They've got original fiction from the Lovecraft Circle that you can purchase over there. Absolutely. Great stuff. Of course, we mention this because this podcast that you're listening to right now will be part of that month of Cthulhu over at Tor.com. And in this episode, we are going to be covering the legendary story by Lovecraft, Herbert West Reanimator. And this is going to be the first of two parts. That's right. Uh, we have a special guest this week who we'll be talking to in a moment, but wanted to tell everybody that our reader is the incomparable Andrew Lehman. So without further ado, folks, welcome to the show. I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Brought to you by Tor.com. HPPodcraft.com Of Herbert West, who was my friend in college and in afterlife, I can speak only with extreme terror. That's a curious opening line. Yeah, it is kind of strange. Could you tell me about Herbert West? Oh, I can only speak of him with extreme terror. <laughs> Are you ready? Well, the question is, who is this guy? Yes, exactly. Wait, who's this guy? Yeah, who, who's that guy that just spoke there? Who's this guy? Oh, I believe we have a guest host this week. What do you know? Uh, this is uh, Stuart Gordon. Hello. Welcome, Stuart. Uh, most of you will know him as director of the film version of the story we're covering today. Yes. Herbert West Reanimator. Reanimator. But, uh, you know, this guy, I guess, is, you know, uh, Herbert West's assistant. Yes, you know, the protagonist. Who remains nameless right. throughout the entire Never movie. give a name. But uh, this character became very important to us when we did the movie. Oh, right. Because what we realized was that uh, we needed someone who was essentially uh, a normal person that the audience could kind of relate to, sort of uh, someone who would be asking the kinds of questions that they might want to ask. Right. right. And uh, we called him Dan Kane, mm -hmm. and he was played by Bruce Abbott in the film. And I've always felt that uh, he, his role was the most difficult one of all. Sure. Because uh, even though Jeffrey Combs got all the attention right. playing Herbert West, it was really Bruce Abbott who is the character that the audience identifies with and the one that goes through all the changes in, in the story. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's really his story. I yeah. mean, Herbert West is a, is a big force in that story, but it's about this, it's about this guy and it's kind of his temptation into you know, darkness. Right. Exactly, yeah. How, and his reactions to it all. And yeah. Yeah. He, sort of, he leads us through it. Yeah, on the car on the on the way over here, we're recording at Stewart's office in Burbank. We uh, we're talking about here. This guy knew that Herbert was murdering people essentially, yeah. and he still went off to war with him. You know, <laughs> he's, he's that easily cowed into submission. Um, well, it's just, he's a very similar character to um, to Randolph Carter in the, the statement of the Randolph statement. Carter. He's kind of he's an assistant to Harley Warren in that. Story. Right, and yeah. he kind of does whatever Warren you know wants him to do. Well. Uh, on that terror that he must speak of Herbert West with, he says, This terror is not due altogether to the sinister manner of his recent disappearance, but was engendered by the whole nature of his life work. 
and first gained its acute form more than 17 years ago when we were in the third year of our course at the Miskatonic University Medical School in Arkham. While he was with me, the wonder and diabolism of his experiments fascinated me utterly, and I was his closest companion. Now that he is gone and the spell is broken, the actual fear is greater. Memories and possibilities are ever more hideous than realities. The first horrible incident of our acquaintance was the greatest shock I ever experienced, and it is only with reluctance that I repeat it. And this incident that he's speaking of makes up the first chapter of the story. From the Dark. Yes, and this was written as a serial right. for, yeah. for a magazine called Homebrew. Homebrew, which, which is a comedy magazine, I believe, which yeah. is kind of strange. Well, Lovecraft thought of this as a, a comedic piece. Actually. Yeah. And uh, he was very dismissive of it because he was actually paid to write it. Right. right. I think and it was I, $5 in addition. It might have been his first... Oh, shoot. His paid first paid gig. I think it was his first it, paid gig. It was gig. his first paid gig, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was one of these guys who believed that what you wrote for yourself was, that, that was true art. Right. But if you were actually paid to write something, then it was, right. uh, you know, you were, you were uh, being a whore, essentially. <laughs> Although, you know, from what, uh, some of his letters, he talks about what a whore he is, and you could tell he kind of likes it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, he, I mean, he's, he's kind of bragging that he's got to pay a job as right. he's complaining about right. what, yeah, what yeah, hack yeah. work it is. Yeah. yeah, he's like, oh, this yeah. terrible hack work, which yeah. I get paid $5 a page for. But the, story, <laughs> the story was um, out of print for a long, long time. Because Lovecraft and and Lovecraft's group kind of looked down on it, they looked at thought yeah. it was sort of trash. August Durleth and those guys, mm. who was the one who was responsible for publishing right. Lovecraft's work after Lovecraft after died, died. Yeah. and so uh, Herbert Westry Animator was left out. And um, I, wow. when I first heard about the story, it was um, you know I, I had read a lot of Lovecraft and I never had read this story. I, you know I mm-hmm. never had encountered it. And uh, someone we were talking about. The fact that everyone was making vampire movies very much like today. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, I was getting kind of tired of them, and I said, I wish someone would make a Frankenstein movie. And they said, mm-hmm. Well, someone should make a movie out of Herbert West Reanimator by Lovecraft. And I had never heard of it. So um, I was intrigued, and I started looking around and couldn't find it anywhere. And I finally went to the, I was living in Chicago, so I went to the Chicago Public Library. Mm-hmm. And it turned out they had a copy of it in their special collections. Oh, nice! Yeah, but I had to do some research. But I, what I did was I had to like fill out a card and and request it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh And then they had to go back into their you know sort of tombs and and dig it out. And I got a I got a a postcard from them six months later saying you can come to the library. Six months later. Six months. Whoa! You know you can come here and read it in the library, but we're not going to let you. And that was the only copy that you could find. Yeah, and what they gave me was. I don't know if it was. A, I don't think it was actually a copy of Homebrew, but it was. A, it was a pulp printing, and the pages were so old and that they were literally crumbling in my hands as I was wow. turning the pages. That's so and cool. And <laughs> so I asked the librarian if it would be all right to Xerox it, and she let me. And oh, so yeah. I, so I took. So I took the Xerox pages home with me, and um, you know, it's only about thirty pages long. Right. I, yeah, think, I, I think each. You know, a chapter is about five pages or something like that. And when in each chapter, because it was a serial, somewhat summarizes the story today. So right, actually, as you, as you remember in our last episode, right. exactly. Yeah. 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 Now this story is the first. It's not the first mention of Miskatonic, but this no. is the first Miskatonic University usage yes. as a facility. Because picture of the, in the house is the first time that he talks about Arkham and yeah. Miskatonic Valley. So right. But this might be the first time he talks about Miskatonic Medical School. It definitely is the first yeah, time he talks absolutely. about Miskatonic yeah. Medical School. Uh, and in this first chapter, uh, from the dark, he, our protagonist, unnamed, lays out the basic premise of the story, which is that Herbert West has an obsession. 
he believes that death can become can be overcome artificially. Right. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't think that life is a sacred thing or that we have souls. No, um, I know. He says it's a chemical process. Exactly. Yeah, it's mechanical. He and says the body and how it works is a, is a mechanical thing, and if you yeah. can understand those mechanics, then you can understand the secrets of life. What's interesting is that <laughs> this predates, you know, the idea of adrenaline and so forth. Right. Using, you know, now we sort of take it for granted that when someone's heart stops, we can start it up again. Right. Mm-hmm. But in those days, you know, if you if your heart stopped, that was it. Yeah. There was uh, no CPR. There was no. Uh, yeah. There was yeah, no, there were no little shocks. You know, like uh, defibrillation yeah. paddles or anything. Right. So this really is, you know, what, what he's onto is is absolutely true to some degree. It certainly is, yeah. Although what he's talking about, I think, in the story is the idea of reactivating uh, the brain. Yes, mm-hmm. which unfortunately isn't possible at uh, current technology. Thus far. Thus far. Well, although there are, I just was sent an article that's about a guy who was doing something very, almost the same thing, really, which is um, they've been able to bring people back who have been dead for hours now. Uh, it involves uh, hooking their bodies up to a heart-lung machine and uh, keeping the body going. Oh, right, I see. And uh, and then fixing it, right? And, and then bringing the person, zapping so, them, and bringing their heart, starting their heart up again, and then taking them off the machine. Artificial respiration and a heart pump of some kind that keeps yeah. the blood flowing and oxygen, keeping they, oxygen in the blood. They've also found that if someone freezes to death, if they fall into like a, a an icy lake or yeah. something, that the time can be extended sometimes to as long as an hour. Right, yeah. And the most famous doctor in the country right now, Sanjay Gupta, <laughs> no kidding, is a reanimator as well because he just wrote a book that he's been hawking called Cheating Death. Oh, really? This is, he's been going on the circuit to talk about it. <laughs> and he, he, I saw him in an interview on, I think it was Colbert Report, where they started talking about zombies because he was saying the point at which somebody dies is open to interpretation. The doctor declares it, but that's, I mean, he's declaring that the person is dead. It doesn't mean they're really dead. Gupta's well, saying... The same thing that Herbert West was saying. Well, it, what? It, what what um, when I you know was working on the movie, we did talk mm-hmm. to a lot of uh, uh, doctors and scientists, and they their attitude was exactly the same as West's, which is, they, and there is research that's being done about being able to reactivate the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, so the sort of experiments that West is doing in this are things that are actually being done these days. Yeah, right. Well, he's got two major problems in his experiments. The first is of which is that the solution is different for every life form that he does. So he's been working on animals. Right. Yeah, he tries uh, it on vermin, the um, rats, and yeah. guinea pigs, and things like that. Right. But if he ever wants it to be successful cats on humans... Dogs. Yeah, cats and dogs. He's got to use human subjects. Well, it's also, I think, what he's trying to do is to show that the person is conscious that there is a, um, in, and that is understanding, mm-hmm. what, yeah. you know, and, right. and responding, which is hard to do with an animal, you know, it's yeah. kind of, uh, True. you know, you, how, you know, maybe the thing is moving around, but is it really, you know, is its mind working correctly? Right. And that brings us to our second problem, which is that the, the human corpses that he wants to test on have to be exceedingly fresh. And that's really, I think, is the joke, which is why I think this is, you know, Lovecraft thought of this as a comedy, which is, the, you know, mm-hmm. every time he... West's experiments go terribly wrong. Right. <laughs> he, he always says, well, he just wasn't fresh enough. Yeah. Exactly. But see, this is also what kind of leads the skeptical doctors at the university to disbelieve him, because if a patient dies and he reanimates and they'll say, well, he was just never dead. Right. This, this doesn't work. And chief among his skeptics and detractors is Dr. Halsey, who's the the dean of the, the medical dean school. Of the medical school. And uh, he doesn't want Herbert screwing around with this stuff. No. And uh, he won't commit university resources to help you. Basically, Herbert and our narrator get the idea that they're going to set up their own little lab. And they find yeah. this abandoned farmhouse. It says, uh, It was not long after the faculty had interdicted his work that West confided to me his resolution to get fresh human bodies in some manner. 
and continue in secret the experiments he could no longer perform openly. West was then a small, slender, spectacled youth with delicate features, yellow hair, pale blue eyes, and a soft voice. And it was uncanny to hear him dwelling on the relative merits of Christchurch Cemetery and the Potter's Field. We finally decided on the Potter's Field because practically every body in Christchurch was embalmed, a thing of course ruinous to West's researches. I was by this time his active and enthralled assistant, and helped him make all his decisions, not only concerning the source of bodies, but concerning a suitable place for our loathsome work. It was I who thought of the deserted Chapman farmhouse beyond Meadow Hill, where we fitted up on the ground floor an operating room and a laboratory, each with dark curtains to conceal our midnight doings. One of the strange things is he's a blonde guy. Because in my head, I always think of Jeffrey Combs. And when I read that story the first time... Well, it was funny because when Jeffrey came in to audition, mm-hmm. he, you know, in my mind, I was seeing a blonde, you know, from from Lovecraft's story. Uh-huh. He, as a matter of fact, he keeps referring to him as that damn towhead. I think it's yeah, it, uh-huh. you know, is a, is a phrase that's used a lot in the stories. But Jeffrey had the um, the personality of Herbert West. Oh, he was oh, so clearly on the right wavelength. So yeah, yeah. the hair yeah. color became it's, not so important. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Right. of course. But I always sort of got into the idea that. Um, Herbert West is almost like an Aryan, you know, he's like a Hitler youth or something. You know, there's yeah. this, there's this kind of sing, single-minded, uh, <laughs> totally. right, right. You know, fascistic approach that he takes to everything. Uh-huh. Well, they're out in the middle of nowhere with this place. He calls it their sinister haunt of science. And they're waiting around for the perfect body following the death notices, and they get lucky when they hear of this workman who is drowned it? the morning before. And he was too poor for a funeral, so he didn't get embalmed. They, they just put, put him, him right in the ground. Field, yeah. Yeah. So they find the grave, they dig him up, and they bring him back to the house and inject them. Yeah, and, and and here inject him, and this is where uh, the protagonist actually at this point says, "All right, so Herbert thinks the human life is all mechanical. I, I still might think there's a soul or something." Right. So he's curious that when this guy gets reanimated, he wants to ask him, you know, "Where have you been?" Yeah, what, where, you know, for the whole on? day, what, what's happened? Mm-hmm. But this time the solution doesn't do anything. He lays there for forty-five minutes. And there's no... Yeah, and they go, "Well, let's let's remix it. You know, yeah. let's try and come up with something else." And while they're in the other room doing that, they hear a scream. When from the pitch black room we had left, there burst the most appalling and demoniac succession of cries that either of us had ever heard. Not more unutterable could have been the chaos of a hellish sound if the pit itself had opened to release the agony of the damned. For in one inconceivable cacophony was centered all the supernal terror and unnatural despair of animate nature. Human it could not have been. It is not in man to make such sounds. And without a thought of our late employment or its possible discovery, both West and I leapt to the nearest window like stricken animals, overturning tubes, lamp, and retorts, and vaulting madly into the starred abyss of the rural night. They just run away. They just run. <laughs> they don't even yeah. check it out. And this thing is still out there. Yes. You know, that's the thing. Well, the, the, the barn catches fire. Right. Yeah. The, when this guy's in there, this uh, reanimated corpse is, you know, flailing about. Yeah, they, they knock over the lamp on their way Oh, out, they actually. knock it over. Yeah, they're the okay, culprits. Okay. And then, and then they, they go spend the night at West's room on campus. People like, scared, you know, <laughs> right. hugging each other. I don't know what they're doing. And, and, then, then, uh, and then they read the paper. The house burned down. The house burned, or the farmhouse burned down right. that they were doing their experiments in. And then also the grave oh, had been had claw marks on it, like somebody was trying to dig trying into to get the back. grave, get back into the grave. Yeah. And for 17 years after that, West would look frequently over his shoulder and complain of fancied footsteps behind him. Now he has disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Never found the guy. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great 
thing in the story that West is constantly looking over his shoulder, and, you know, and, and he yeah. does it more and more often as he reanimates more and more people. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's a really good idea. It is, and Lovecraft's very careful not to let you forget that. My first uh, idea was to do this as a series of little movies, you know, uh, to do actually a, for television. That was, you know, we were thinking that these are going to be, wow. since they really? were written as a serial, that we were going to do half-hour episodes, and that each, you know, so we wrote up this first story as an episode, and I think our original draft of it was set in period. We did it, you know, sort of, oh, oh, wow. which which I think, you know, if you sort of work backwards, he's talking about 17 years, and this story was written in 1922, mm-hmm. yeah. that would mean that this, would, this would be like 1905 yeah, or something right. like that. So, you know, that was where our story was set, and we um, were going to kind of follow, you know, each episode okay. would be kind of close to Lovecraft, so be, it would be like a six-part miniseries, and um, we tried to sell it, I, strangely enough, I was, you know, we had just done a thing for PBS, uh, an adaptation of one of our plays, and so I went to them with this, thinking that maybe this could be a PBS miniseries. <laughs> yeah, which, Ken, Ken which, Burns reanimated. <laughs> or, like, or like mystery, uh, mystery theater, like right, that yeah. type of thing. And they, that you know was you know not going to happen. <laughs> uh, so someone said, well, maybe you know half hours are hard to sell. Maybe we should make it an hour. And so we combined the first story and the second story mm-hmm. together. And um, that's kind of how we proceeded. And eventually, you know, when we couldn't sell the hour, they said, "Well, maybe this should be a feature." A feature. Yeah. And I said, "Okay, we'll put all we'll put the third story in." And this was uh, Brian Usna who was now involved. And he said, "No, no, put all of them in. Throw them, throw them into everything. Yeah. The kitchen sink." When we get into the second chapter, yes, the plague demon. Uh, some time has passed. West having given up his research for a while. Of course, that can't last. Yeah. Well, he tries to. He goes to Halsey again and says, "Like, look, my work is, is giving results." And Halsey's like, "No, I'm not going to support this. You're out of your mind." So that summer, after the protagonists and Herbert have graduated, the plague comes to Arkham. Yeah. And even though they're not licensed yet as physicians, they get pressed into service along with Doctor Halsey, who really distinguishes himself and even impresses Herbert with yeah. his determination to help. I mean, the townspeople they love Doctor Halsey because of the confusion. Wes is even able at one point to smuggle off a recently deceased corpse mm-hmm. into the college laboratory and inject it. The thing actually opened its eyes. But only stared at the ceiling with a look of soul-petrifying horror before collapsing into an inertness from which nothing could rouse it. West said it was not fresh enough. The hot summer air does not favor corpses. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly as he said. It's not fresh enough. The two continue to treat the plague victims, and they are almost dead from exhaustion, and unfortunately... Dr. Halsey gets the plague. That's right, and he dies. And he dies. And all the students are, of course, pretty upset. They all hang out together after Halsey's service, but most of them drift away. Uh-huh. Probably because they're creeped out by hanging out with West. <laughs> um, and he convinces the protagonist, let's let's make a night of it. Yeah, come on, let's it'll be good it'll be good fun. In yeah. fact, his uh, when they we sneak the body back to his dorm, the right. landlady sees him and she says, Oh boy, they, they must have had quite a night, the three of them. Yeah, because they carry him in between like he's there it's like weekend at Bernie's. You know, <laughs> like About three AM, the whole house was aroused by cries coming from West's room where, when they broke down the door, they found the two of us unconscious on the blood-stained carpet, beaten, scratched, and mauled, and with the broken remnants of West's bottles and instruments around us. Only an open window told what had become of our assailant, and many wondered how he himself had fared after the terrific leap from the second story to the lawn which he must have made. Now, this the thing that's interesting about this, and we kind of used it in our movie, is that you know everyone gives credit, I think, to 28 Days Later as having fast-moving... Zombies. Oh yeah, uh-uh. but this story has got—it's got fast zombies. It, it, it does. Yeah, you know, these these zombies are like breaking through walls, 
jumping out of windows. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, these are... Uh, you They're know, feral and animal-like. But it's also, I think, kind of like uh, he's anticipating the idea of adrenaline. Uh, yeah. You know that it's that they're sort of so charged up with uh, whatever this chemical is, that it's making them incredibly manic. Kind of like a super super vigor. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. super strength. And super strength. <laughs> and, you know, the thing about Lovecraft is that you know Lovecraft never thought of him. You know, he never believed in the supernatural. Yeah. No. And uh, he always has a scientific basis for everything in mm-hmm. his stories, yeah. and it's true here. I think that knowing how well he researched things, that yeah. he probably did a lot of research about. Uh, what chemicals would be used and so forth, and and I think anticipated adrenaline. Not only pretty cool. Um, are they fast-moving zombies? The zombies are cannibals, which is what we find out right now. Right now in the story, uh, they tell the police that some this is just some guy they got drunk with. They don't say it's Doctor Halsey, yeah, obviously, because uh-huh. uh, they grave. I mean, they went and they got him. They stole his body. Yes. Uh, and the police would probably look into this more, but they've got their hands full because uh, a watchman at the Christchurch Cemetery has been clawed to death. Uh-huh. Clawed to death. And the next night, eight houses are broken into. Seventeen people are maimed by what witnesses say maybe some white malformed ape. <laughs> and uh, now I say seventeen people were maimed. Fourteen of these people actually were killed by the thing. And then three of them were already dead from plague. He just nibbled on them a little. Yeah, he ate them. Yeah, like that was the thing. He would go out and find these people and eat them. So this is kind of a precursor to cannibal zombies. Yeah, like I can't think of anything else in literature where there were cannibal no, zombies. No, 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 this is it. It wasn't until like Romero in the 60s did Night of the Living Dead. Right here. Boom. Yeah. Cannibal zombies. And now every weekend there's a zombie movie at the Multiplex. <laughs> I know, if you're only around to collect the royalties. Oh, yeah. Only. <laughs> only. Well, the next night a posse gets together and when somebody reports scratching at their window, they get the thing, they, they shoot it, though not fatally, and they, they send it to the hospital where they... Discover they, that it's, it's Dr. Halsey. Yeah. yeah, it's Dr. Halsey. They dressed its wound and carted it to the asylum at Sefton, where it beat its head against the walls of a padded cell for 16 years, until the recent mishap, when it escaped under circumstances that few liked to mention. What had most disgusted the searchers of Arkham was the thing they noticed when the monster's face was cleaned. The mocking, unbelievable resemblance to the learned and self-sacrificing martyr who had been entombed but three days before. The late Dr. Alan Halsey, public benefactor and dean of the medical school of Miskatonic University. To the vanished Herbert West and to me, the disgust and horror were supreme. I shudder tonight as I think of it, shudder even more than I did that morning, when West muttered through his bandages, Damn it, it wasn't quite fresh enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the, of yeah. the second part. Great punchline. Yeah, that's a good yeah. punchline, yeah. And from there we're on to the next chapter. Six shots by midnight. It is uncommon to fire all six shots of a revolver with great suddenness when one would probably be sufficient. But many things in the life of Herbert West were uncommon. Some more time has passed. Yep. And West and our writer have gotten jobs as physicians in Bolton, which yep. is close to Arkham, and there's a mill there. Uh, they also get a house together out in the boonies where they can do their research. West is obviously still all for it, although he gets a little bothered by that first uh, human specimen they let go, which he feels is hunting him as well. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of mill workers have accidents in Bolton, so they get some specimens right away. We had not been settled a week before we got an accident victim on the very night of burial and made it open its eyes with an amazingly rational expression before the solution failed. It had lost an arm. If it had been a perfect body, we might have succeeded better. Between then and the next January, we secured three more. One total failure, one case of marked muscular motion, and one rather shivery thing 
that rose of itself and uttered a sound. Uh, but then there's thing. no luck for a while yeah. until they hear about this time. boxing match. Yep, it's uh, one of those illegal street boxing matches because uh, the puritanical nature of, of the area, yeah. boxing is illegal. So the guys kind of you know, take to the streets and they right. have these, you know... The uh, mill workers will organize it for their sort of, entertainment. Yeah, yeah, it's a Tyler Durden kind of thing. You know? Yeah, it's Fight Club. It's Fight Club. Uh, <laughs> so this is between a guy named Kid O'Brien and Buck Robinson, who's a black man known as the Harlem Smoke. Lovecraft has some pretty stupid things to say about both of them. Yeah, actually. Uh, the descriptions of the black man are pretty awful. Yeah, yeah, and the Irish, you know. Yeah, the Irish. Immigrants. You know, Lovecraft was all about, you know, uh, you know, his family come over in the Mayflower. Right. And, mm-hmm. know, very pure and you know, the, all these new immigrants he's kind of very disparaging of in all of his stories, the Irish, the Portuguese, uh-huh. the Italians. Yeah, he says some equally offensive things about Italians in this same couple of paragraphs. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's well-known Lovecraft's fear of anybody that wasn't Anglo. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's in a lot of his stories, and this is no exception. Yeah, this, this, is, like, yeah, this, this is the one story that we did not use in any of our... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love the idea of the boxing match and, and what happens here where, you know, they, they call Herbert out because he's the doctor and he says, I can get rid of this body for you discreetly. Because what happens in the boxing match is... Yeah, he gets... The black, yeah. the black guy's killed. Yeah, yeah, he's killed in the fight and every, people freak out and then, you know, Herbert steps in and goes, hey, I'm a doctor. Uh, right. Oh, no, he's, he's dead. I can take care of this. And yeah. everybody's like, good, great. <laughs> good, take care here of you it. go. So they get the body to the lab and, and they try everything, but no solution is going to reanimate this guy. And they give up. Uh-huh. And they bury it in a shallow grave. Next night, West goes to treat an Italian woman who's hysterical because her kid is missing. Mm-hmm. In fact, she's so worked up that she dies. She has a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. And and then her husband is after Dr. West because he didn't save her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is bad because they're already stressed out. They're afraid of the police for having absconded with this body. Yep, yep. Um, and then that night, about 3 a.m., there's a steady rattling on the back door. And West comes up to the protagonist's room with a revolver. Because it you know, could be this Italian guy. Right, because this guy's been you know, harassing him yeah. because his wife died. So we both went down the stairs on tiptoe, with a fear partly justified and partly that which comes only from the soul of the weird small hours. The rattling continued, growing somewhat louder. When we reached the door, I cautiously unbolted it and threw it open, and as the moon streamed revealingly down on the form silhouetted there, West did a peculiar thing. Despite the obvious danger of attracting notice and bringing down on our heads the dreaded police investigation, a thing which, after all, was mercifully averted by the relative isolation of our cottage, my friend suddenly, excitedly, and unnecessarily emptied all six chambers of his revolver into the nocturnal visitor. For that visitor was neither Italian nor policeman. Looming hideously against the spectral moon was a gigantic, misshapen thing not to be imagined save in nightmares. A glassy-eyed, ink-black apparition nearly on all fours, covered with bits of mold, leaves, and vines, foul with caked blood, and having between its glistening teeth a snow-white, terrible cylindrical object terminating in a tiny hand. Yeah, so the boxer had a a child's arm in his mouth. Yeah, and he's running around (laughs) on all fours. Yeah, it's uh, it's awful. It's pretty awful. I'm, it is kind of curious though that he he does you know uh, rap on the door. You know, like as oh, if, I know as if kind of bringing back some kind of uh, a well, treat. Well, it's like your cat does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brings you a dead mouse. Like, yeah, I love you. Oh, <laughs> I, the horror is kind of dispelled too when he says it was neither Italian nor policeman. You know? <laughs> 
strange way to say it. And that's the end. That's the end, that's of, the, the end of, of, the third of that part. chapter, thankfully. And that concludes part one of our show on Herbert West Reanimated. Wow. What a journey. It has been a journey so far. So far, but I wonder what happens next. Who knows? I think you'll have to tune in next week uh, where we will complete our interview with Stuart Gordon and our coverage of the story. Yep. Once again, thank you to Andrew Lehman for providing his dulcet tones. Amazing. And folks, while you're waiting for the next show to come out, why don't you head on over to Tor.com and check out their excellent offerings. Absolutely. And uh, keep your eye out for the little Christmas poems that we're going to be throwing Mm -hmm. out. There will be a Christmas poem every day. And now I understand... They're a little short, but they are sweet. And that's all. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>